Support for TPR comes from Texas Biomed, hosting its second annual Global Health Symposium, the 28th and 29th, with virtual guest speaker Sir Richard Branson. More at txbiomed.org. I am the grandpa of the minnows. I don't let anybody fish down there. Guys go down there and want to get some for bait. They know that's a no-no. I'm standing alongside a crystal clear stream just outside of Converse, Texas, northeast of San Antonio. This stream is teeming with tiny fish nibbling enthusiastically on healthy blooms of algae. Those are protected species out there. Those are my fish. I see guys down there. I just got no. Get away. This man, my guide for the day, is extremely proud of this little stream and these little fish because their very existence tells him he and his team are doing a good job. My name is Sterling Lee, and I'm the treatment superintendent for the San Antonio River Authority. I've been doing this for 34 years. This stream is the end result of a water treatment process that begins when one of the 23,000 San Antonio River Authority customers served by this plant flush their toilet. Plumbing transports waste to three large pipes out here in the country. Basically what you're doing is you're filtering out all the big inorganic and organic material that my microorganisms can't deal with. That's where the process leading to Lee's healthy, happy grandbaby guppies and clear water begins with churning muck that has an earthy, distinctly human pungence that you can smell for at least a mile. It might put you in mind of a porta potty at a festival or a concert at high noon in sweltering South Texas. I want to show you the magic trick. Okay. This is a magic trick. That's what's coming in. Very deadly, full of bad bacteria, very harmful to the humans and aquatic life. So this is what I want you to, that's why it's good to see so you can understand the magic trick I'm going to show you. It's this point, this point at the very beginning, where the huge Easter egg blue tubes dump the raw sewage from your toilet that we're here for. See, last year, Sterling Lee and the River Authority participated in a program with the University of Texas, San Antonio, UTSA, that started testing wastewater for COVID-19. The idea was to see if you could track the amount of COVID in a given community in a way that could create a, a bigger picture than traditional nasal swab testing could. And this is what the treatment plant does. It represents the community, it represents the areas that we are um, serving. So it kind of gave us an idea of what the COVID rates were as far as in the Converse area and this area here. This particular treatment plant serves the city of Converse. Right here, these are your screw pumps. And what they do is, is they receive wa water from the homes and businesses in our area. More than 20,000 people who all have to use the bathroom on a regular basis. At any given time, a percentage of them will have COVID, but might not get tested for any number of reasons. So UTSA asked Lee to set up a sampling system at the plant, and he did. This is where the flow comes from the homes and businesses. So this is where we set the sampler up in this area here to test the raw sewage, because that's coming directly in from the homes. This is what, in the sampler, what we're doing was a 24-hour composite. So what a 24-hour composite does is it picks up a sample every two hours. And then after the two hours, it continues to go for 24 hours. At that point, the next day, we pick the sampler up, take it over to the lab. So you sample it right here at the beginning when the water is amber before any kind of treatment's been done. 
Yes, we do. And that's right. That once once it goes through our, our bar screening process and go through our screw pump, it's getting ready for treatment. So at that point, we're beginning to work on the bacteria and the microbes that's coming into the plant. So what you want to do, your best indicator is to get that sample before it comes in contact with the treatment process. Now, I figured I'd find all this interesting because, you know, I'm kind of a nerd that way. But Lee actually makes wastewater treatment kind of exciting. So it's a very important process. This process is, oh, almost 200 years old. And um, it was basically started because we wanted to stop people or have people not dying from waterborne diseases. Back in the 1800s, the number one death was caused by waterborne diseases. And so I, I really commend the people that work in this industry because they're actually, just like firemen, policemen, and our military, they're actually, actually protecting public health. He's passionate about wastewater treatment, and he's passionate about the work he and his team did to help UTSA in its COVID studies. And honestly, what UTSA was getting on the results was actually matching every day's up and down of the virus. So at one point, we, when the virus began to succeed a little bit, we actually saw it in the sample. And when it was peaking, we actually saw it in the sample as well. What he didn't expect was that participating in the research helped him to better protect the employees at the River Authority. At one point, we could tell by the study that, hey, the um, COVID, the numbers are going up, so hey, let's be extra careful. At one point, we saw the COVID going down, we was kind of more, a little bit more relaxed. So it also helped us as water professionals to understand what was going on and what we were dealing with. Right now, though, there is no COVID sampling going on at this water treatment plant. But Lee thinks there should be. I think we should still be testing. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of plants that still are testing. Unfortunately, it's all about the dollar. You know, if if, if these labs and um, the public would, you know, really want to keep an eye on it, we would have to find the funds to do it. But I can be honest with you, from what I saw from the testing, it was very beneficial. As COVID testing clinics around the country shudder and federal funding dries up for free clinical testing, wastewater surveillance could step in to play a crucial role in keeping track of where the virus is and just how much is really circulating out there. So let's learn about it, shall we? Let's talk about the COVID virus you flush away. From Texas Public Radio and the Texas Newsroom, this is Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petrie. I'm at UTSA now for the first time, and it feels really weird to say this, but for the first time in years since the start of the pandemic, students are back, and that's sort of thrilling to see. I wander up to Dr. Vikram Kapoor's lab. He's assistant professor in the School of Civil and Environmental Engineering and Construction Management. There's a sign on his lab's door. Save water, save the world. Because we do a lot of water quality research, right? right, so, right. so we do everything has to do with water. You know, whether it's wastewater, storm water, drinking water, and so on. So, so all, all my research, the unifying thread in my research is water quality. Right. So, so he, he had put that up, and it's been there since then, almost six years now. Kapoor is as enthusiastic about wastewater as is Sterling Lee, but he says he kind of stumbled into COVID research. 
So 2020, March of 2020, uh, yeah. like, like all other universities across the US, you know, we were shut down essentially and we were you know asked to work from home and all the research which was going on in the labs you know we, we didn't really know what to do during that time you know uh, this wastewater surveillance has been done in the past like for polio virus you know there there are some studies out there which have looked at uh, uh, the distribution of polio virus through wastewater surveillance and so on so the idea of using wastewater for SARS-CoV-2 is not new essentially but due to the nature of the pandemic a lot of groups uh, across the globe, you know, they started looking into this resource to, to see if they can use this to track the spread of the virus in the community. So that's what they started doing. Sterling Lee told us how his team gathered the samples at the River Authority. Here's Kapoor's side of that story. You get the sample from the treatment plant and essentially you, you sample at the influent where all the sewage pipes are merging into a big pool of water and, you know, it's kind of entering the treatment system. So you sample right at, right at that point. You know, it's, so it's, essentially it's raw sewage. So we get those samples back to the labs. They're in little Nalgene bottles, just raw sewage. The very first step is to centrifuge the samples using this big boy here. Uh, so it's a floor centrifuge. Kapoor opens up the big boy and shows me where they put the fetid amber samples. So yeah, so this is the main chamber here, right? Essentially, we take the samples and we we put the uh, we we pour them into small bottles and we put the bottles here, and then we close this, and then we centrifuge this at high speed to separate the sludge from the water. So we have the sludge which is separated. Now we, we take the water and then we filter the water on those filters. Mm -hmm. Then we combine those filters with the sludge sample and then we do a combined extraction of both the sludge and the liquid fraction using the filters. Then they use what Kapoor calls a fancy robot to extract the RNA from the filtered muck and water. They become pellets and then they can just run regular polymerase chain reaction tests on the pellets. PCR tests, just like you get at the doctor's office. That's what they run on these pellets to see if there's COVID in the wastewater. And they found it. Remember that first year, the Texas summer surge of 2020? You know, in our first three months of sampling, we had the July 4th weekend, right? And I remember that, you know, that was the first weekend where after at least two or three months of lockdown, people were working from home and, uh, you know, they were being more careful. And I think July 4th was the first... Uh, big weekend where a lot of people came out to meet their families, to, to visit relatives. You know, I saw I saw a sudden increase in, in you know, the number of people I'm seeing outside. And in my mind, I was like, this is not good. You know, this may cause a surge. And I was very carefully tracking the wastewater data. And in fact, uh, after the 4th of July uh, weekend, within a week, we saw a peak. That was, uh, we saw a peak in the cases around 15th July as well as we saw a peak in our wastewater data. So we were able to capture, you know, the infection which spread uh, during that weekend uh, through wastewater data at least a couple of days early than we saw that in the clinical testing. So that was really useful information. In San Antonio wastewater, they also captured what we now know as the alpha surge in the winter of 2020 and 2021. And this is the thing. Wastewater tracking can tell you if a surge is coming before you see an increase in patients at doctor's offices and hospitals. 
uh, you know, we, we call it a leading indicator of, of surveillance because it can predict before the infection starts spreading, right? So before people start getting symptoms, before they get tested, they will start shedding the virus in the feces. So if all the people you know, who are infected, uh, they are shedding the virus, so there's a chance that we can pick up that signal even days or even a week before they actually get tested. Wastewater testing can also capture people who may test at home and then don't report it anywhere. So if they're asymptomatic, they may not get tested at all, right? Because they have the virus, they just recover, or they don't show any symptoms. And, and, but they are still able to spread the virus, right? So, so wastewater data is able to capture those asymptomatic fraction of the population as well, uh, with some confidence. And if you're tracking for COVID, why not track for other things that show up in your poop? You can use wastewater surveillance for looking at the uh, distribution of flu virus. And flu is seasonal, right? It, it, it comes every year. So, and nobody's tracking the flu through wastewater systems. But this uh, pandemic has taught us that, you know, this can be a really good tool. You know, not even looking at pandemic virus, but regular seasonal viruses. You know, you, can, you start tracking those in the wastewater system and you can see how they are changing, how they are evolving. And, and accordingly, you can develop new vaccines. You can develop new interventions. And if you see a surge, you can, you know, alert the public, hey, there is a surge of flu virus. So, you, you know... Uh, make sure to wear masks and, you know, uh, you know, take precautions. But Kapoor says this is where things can get a little weird and sort of big brothery. You can use wastewater to track all kinds of things, like, say, opioid use in a specific area that is served by a wastewater treatment plant. Heck, if you were so inclined, uh, you could sequence a person's whole genome from the epithelial cells that show up in wastewater. The science is there, right? The science is very robust, but the societal and the ethical implications of this, I think that needs a lot of work before it's implemented at a large scale, you know, at every city. Kapoor says some regulatory body, the Centers for Disease Control, for example, needs to step in and start building an ethical framework that will guide use of the wealth of information you can find in the sewers before anyone goes much beyond COVID surveillance. But wastewater testing for COVID, Kapoor says, can play a key role in getting us out of this pandemic. So, yeah, definitely, you know, so I think uh, from this point of from this point on, wastewater surveillance I hope will be a really useful tool as we move to a normal life. And my hope is that, you know, a lot of cities and groups will keep using it to look at other emerging threats. And even if not, even if not emerging threats, you know, the regular seasonal viruses and seasonal bacteria, uh, you know, which can be found in wastewater uh, to see how they are evolving over time, we can use that. And as fewer and fewer people are getting those nasal swab PCR tests. Now we have another source, uh, which is capturing this at the city level. So there's plenty of other things, which I think as we move on in the next 10 years, we'll, we'll, we'll come to realize that there's a lot of other things we can uh, derive from useful information we can derive from wastewater surveillance. Coming up, what if we could do more with wastewater surveillance than track if COVID is in a certain area? What if it could give you advanced warning that the next Delta variant is coming? So you can kind of say to yourself, well, a new variant is coming. And you can actually look and see where it is in the city and say, well, that's where it's emerging. 
We'll talk about sequencing the COVID virus in wastewater and also about something weird that's happening in the sewers of New York City. So the theories were hilarious. So they t- they told people told us it was alligators. People told us it was uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's when Petri Dish continues. Support for TPR comes from Texas Biomed, hosting its second annual Global Health Symposium, the 28th and 29th, with virtual guest speaker Sir Richard Branson. More at txbiomed.org. Welcome back to Petri Dish. Dr. Davida Smith is one of the newest professors at Texas A&M San Antonio. She's an associate professor of microbiology and specializes in the microbiology of wastewater. Smith was at the new school in New York City back when the pandemic began, collaborating with a bunch of area scientists on COVID and wastewater when they discovered they might be able to get ahead of new COVID variants by monitoring COVID in the sewers. I think the first evidence we had that it was really predictive was when Omicron came about, right? So Omicron popped up in South Africa, and obviously we were then ready to kind of look for Omicron. But the thing about our sampling method is that because we had been doing it for so long, when Omicron popped up in New York, we actually were able to show that it was common before the, the human people were. So it kind of proved that it actually works. So if we're sequencing each week and then we see a group of mutations that are unusual, um, we can flag it. Smith was blown away by the potential of this kind of testing to fight the pandemic. The data from the wastewater gives you like maybe two weeks of the lead time on what's actually going to appear in the human population. So you can kind of say to yourself, well, a new variant is coming and you can actually look and see where it is in the city and say, well, that's where it's emerging. We should target mask wearing lockdowns, interventions into that part of the city. And that would be a lot better than locking down entire cities. But sometimes sequencing COVID in wastewater can lead to frustration and even fearfulness. Take, for example, what's being called a cryptic COVID lineage that was found in New York City sewers last year. It's a variant they're finding in wastewater that has not shown up in any human beings, not a single one, tested for COVID in the city. It's just lurking there in the sewers we're calling them cryptic because we don't know where they're from. It's like a mystery, right? And so we started thinking about all the possible angles that it could be, right? So the first one um, we started thinking about was it's just simply people who aren't being tested, right? So folks aren't going to get tested because you go in, you have your nose swabbed. If you're not being tested, you're still pooping, but you're not being tested. So therefore it's not in in the database. That's number one. The second one, We thought maybe it's from patients who are perhaps immunocompromised, people who've got a high, you know, they're on a lot of drugs and then perhaps their immune system has run down and the virus is changing more rapidly in those people. We also thought it could be from um, immune uh, people who are bedridden, people who are perhaps immobilized. So in long-term facilities and things like this. And we also thought this was kind of a, a cool theory. It was that because we're swabbing noses, The viruses tend to do this. They can adapt to parts of the body. So we thought perhaps it's a gastric virus that we're actually sampling, not a nasal virus. Um, But we don't have as much evidence for that because whatever studies have been shown, it's not like the virus shows very big differences between the nose and and the stool. So we we don't think necessarily that's the case, but we definitely think it's a strong possibility, right? And then the last one is the one that everybody seems to have jumped on. And it's the rats and the mice and the cats and the dogs. 
There are, of course, millions of rats in New York City. There are all kinds of critters in New York whose poop might end up in the wastewater and potentially show up in tests. We know that the virus can get into deer. We know that it can get into mink. We know that it can get into hamsters. Um, And there's very strong support for a mouse origin for, for Omicron, for example. So we really do think it's a very strong possibility that um, it could be an animal vector. But so far, scientists haven't found this cryptic lineage of COVID-19 in any animals either. Not even one New York City rat. So what are the other possibilities? So the theories were hilarious. So they t- they told people told us it was alligators. People told us it was uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Um, mole, mole men. I don't know what mole men are, but mole men was one of them. But yeah, all sorts of crazy things. We've no evidence either way to say what it is, but we're, we're trying to find out. Because the concern for some is just because this cryptic COVID variant isn't in humans now, could it evolve into the next big variant and make its way into the human population? Smith says her old colleagues in New York just have to keep watching it and keep testing. Now that she's here in San Antonio, she's hoping to do similar work with her Texas students. The students are actually going to get a degree in water. I was like, well, would you like to work with me (laughs) on this? And I said, imagine a bunch of students who are trained in molecular technology as part of their their courses. And then when they graduate, by the time the next pandemic comes along, they're like, I can do that. I can do that technique. She hopes to graduate a lot of passionate wastewater epidemiologists who hopefully want to stay and work right here in Texas. She says there will be no shortage of stuff for them to do over the next several decades. We're seeing the emergence of new diseases as a consequence of climate change, right? We're pretty close to Mexico, we're close to the equator. We're seeing a lot of things come our way in terms of insects and vectors and things like that. So we know that Zika, we know that we have to watch for things like that West Nile and things like that flying past us, right? So a lot of these things, we could be conceivably surveilling for them in the environment and we could be effectively looking for things. The possibilities are endless. Because everybody poops we'll be able to see everything potentially. At the moment, though, Smith's work is stalled. Neither she nor Dr. Kapoor, who plan to work together on wastewater surveillance in the San Antonio area, currently have access to new samples. And as federal dollars for free clinical tests dry up and clinics start to close, Smith's getting nervous. So this is what's going to happen, you see. They're going to stop testing. And they're going to stop testing on a massive scale because we don't have the money for it anymore. And we're not going to know what's happening. You see what I'm saying? Right now, we know Omicron BA2 cases are rising. But Smith says we're losing a kind of situational awareness. We have a general idea of where it is and how many cases there are. But without widespread testing, Smith says we could easily get blindsided by another variant or another surge. Can stepped-up wastewater surveillance help fill this growing information gap? I think it can. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a wastewater person. I do think it's just for long-term surveillance, for monitoring for things that are happening in populations, it can tell us there's COVID transmission happening. Absolutely. It can tell us there's other variants. Absolutely. But, Smith says, it's really too soon for any testing programs, PCR testing, at-home testing, or wastewater testing, to start winding down. 
we've already seen in certain parts of the world as soon as the masks came off, we started seeing an increase in cases again. I just don't think we're at, we're not out of the pandemic yet. We're just not. The CDC has a national dashboard dedicated to collecting wastewater surveillance reports from across the country. But right now, only about a dozen states are contributing information. In Texas, several plants in the Houston area are currently adding to the COVID wastewater knowledge base, but that's it. The San Antonio water system contributed samples from three plants to the CDC through March and into April, but it's no longer doing that. Back in early January, more than two million people were getting swabbed to test for COVID every day, according to the CDC. On April 9th, just over 200,000 people got clinical tests. Now, there are several reasons for the sharp drop. One, we've just been seeing less virus around than we did in January, so fewer people have symptoms and come in asking for a test. Also, a lot of COVID testing requirements before a person can have a surgery or other procedure have been dropped as overall case numbers have declined. And a lot of folks are testing at home with their free rapid tests from the federal government. If they test positive at home but don't feel too bad, they might not go into a doctor for a PCR test. And uninsured people can no longer get free COVID tests across the country. So that goes a long way to explaining the slide from 2 million tests a day to 200,000. But testing is one key way we've been tracking this virus. Without testing and sequencing, we may not know that a new variant has moved into town until suddenly a whole lot of people start showing up sick enough to test at doctor's offices or even hospitals. We don't need that again. But as Dr. Smith so eloquently noted, everybody poops. We don't need anyone to go in for a PCR test to know something about what the virus is doing in a specific community. We just need to test what they flush. Both Kapoor and Smith are ready to go. They just need funding and sources of sewage samples. Like it says on the door of Kapoor's lab, save water, save the world. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by Dallas Williams and me and edited by Dallas Williams and Rachel Osier Lindley. Music and sound designed by Jacob Rosati. Petri Dish was created by Fernanda Camarena, Dan Katz, and me and is a production of TPR and the Texas Newsroom, a collaboration of public radio stations across Texas and NPR. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Talk to you soon. <laughs>